Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. My name is Daniel Sugert, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson. In today's episode, we want to discuss how we can overcome challenges in connecting with Latter-day Saints friends and neighbors. Mormons and traditional Christians typically live in their own little bubble of a world. This is quite normal, but it does have some challenges that present itself when trying to connect with someone in the other world. Let's try to understand how we can overcome some of these barriers and even recognize them in the first place. Ross, what might make it hard to have a good connection with Latter-day Saints? Yeah, Daniel, I think if you think about it, there's some things about about us as traditional Christians that might make it hard, and then there's some things about them in their culture, in their setting, uh, that might make it difficult. And so for us, you know, problems—I mean, for us, it's not just about building relationships with LDS people, but for us, it might be about just building relationships with anybody outside of our bubble, mm-hmm. whether they're, you know, secular neighbors or whoever they might be, because we can get pretty self-focused and— you know, pretty, pretty, pretty involved in our lives revolving around our faith community, and you know we get we get busy. Um, you know, don't have time for people sometimes. Um, you know, a lot of it can be just fear. Fear. I don't know what to do, or I don't know what to say. If I get in a relationship with somebody, then at some point faith is, uh, faith is going to come up, and then I'm going to be stumped, and I don't know how to talk about that, and I feel unequipped maybe for that. The, the one thing that is unique for uh, in the Mormon context, if your neighbors are LDS, is um, you know a lot of Christians are just maybe have their own stereotypes about Mormons and and maybe have a negative stereotype. We go like, well, um, I don't, I just don't like Mormon. I mean, if you live in a in a highly LDS dominant culture. Like, like in Utah, because I know many of our listeners live outside of Utah, and the Mormons are the minority, but in a community like Utah or parts of Idaho and so forth, where the Mormonism is in the majority, a lot of non-Mormons end up developing kind of a, a real negative um, attitude toward the majority. And so, like, you know, you see, you know, Mormon culture dominate everything, and and you see Mormon people get jobs, the jobs that other people don't get. And so it's kind of easy to come up with this real negative attitude about our neighbors in, in some settings. And that would be one reason why maybe people have a hard time um, connecting with those people. Yeah, I've, I've found that in regards to any sort of a, a thing you do, people might not do it for one of three reasons. One is someone might not do something because they don't know why they should. Right. Another reason is people might not do something because they don't know what they should do. And then a third reason people might not do something is because they're not being challenged to do it. No one's pushing them or holding them accountable. Right. They might want to do it at some level, but at another level, there's no impetus to really to really implement that and push forward. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about some of those, but let's first just ask the question, why? Why? would we seek to do this, that is, connecting and having good connection with Latter-day Saints? Yeah, and at a couple of levels. The, the lower level, I would call it, is, is look, if, if people are neighbors, 
then it's worthwhile to have influence and to have good neighbors. It's worthwhile. It's just it's um, to be able to show them kindness, to be able to neighbor well. Jesus, you know, love your neighbor. The Bible says. And ultimately, the way the ultimate way to love our neighbor is we want to share good news of Jesus Christ with them. You know, we want we want them to experience uh, the freedom and and the forgiveness and the joy and everything else that we've experienced that that God promises in His kingdom. So, ultimately, it's going to be really difficult to to share our faith with those people if we don't have some kind of relationship with them. Mm-hmm. If we remain. Um, at arm's length, they they've got stereotypes of us, and they don't know what you know that they're gonna they're never gonna really get it, and never really gonna hear the gospel in a way that sounds like good news to them, unless you know we can get to know them and they can trust us and so forth. Hmm. Yeah. So, what other challenges might might make uh, good connection difficult? Yeah. If you think about think about it from the point of view of the LDS person. Um, you know, they have all kinds of stereotypes about us and that might not be very um, positive. If an LDS person served a mission um, somewhere where Christians are predominant, then they might have had some negative encounters with Christians who, you know, were, were not kind to them or whatever. Um, so they have stereotypes about us in their own culture. Uh, one of the big challenges is that the LDS Church is all-encompassing socially, and so a, a lot of LDS people have all of their relational needs already met. Um, many of them, their needs for belongingness, for love, for esteem, for self-fulfillment, and then for just connection, those are all met within, at least at some level, within the LDS Church, and so they don't have a lot of space for new relationships outside of their culture. Um Part of it is that the Mormon culture, uh, it's a culture of worthiness and perfectionism, and so they might feel very self-sufficient, they might feel like they're very capable, and so they're blind to their, often to their spiritual need. They think, well, we're, we're getting it done, you know, we're busy, we're active, we're, we're church-going, and so forth. And so if they do have spiritual needs, they might not be really very willing to mm. let people know about that or let you in on their life. And then the other thing about the Mormon culture is it keeps its people really super busy. Mm-hmm. So they're involved in activities with the church or with their families and so forth, you know, many nights a week, and, um, and so they might not just have very much time, you know, for someone who's outside of that, of that world. And then, you know, of course, they have a very different worldview um, than traditional Christians, and so... That could, even though you could get to know them personally, the worldview differences might make it harder to go to another level with them. So there, there's a lot of challenges just with unique within Mormonism itself that make sometimes them not really interested in or not open to more relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a little related, but there was there was one time I was meeting a neighbor. A Latter-day Saint and uh, my friend and I, we were trying to share Jesus with him and, and invite him to explore Jesus with us. And and I think he wasn't really even interested in having good connection with us, partly because of that worldview question. Uh, for example, he, he wouldn't see really any sense of urgency in having these spiritual conversations with a non-LDS member. Um, because in his in his worldview, we would have a second chance later. 
Whereas we were looking at him and thinking, oh, actually, no, this is the only chance you've got. Let's have this conversation. This is important. This yeah. is uh, something we, we need to discuss now because in our worldview, there isn't a second chance in the in the spirit prison after this life. Yeah, that's a great illustration about a couple things, you know, in terms of the difference of the worldview and also the sense of what his level of need, his felt need mm-hmm. for a relationship with you guys. It wasn't very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so what are some things we might want to avoid when uh, when trying to have good connection with Latter-day Saints? Well, you know, understanding them, then there's certain sensitivities that they have. Um, in Mormonism, they've cultivated sort of a persecution complex over the years. Now, in early history of Mormonism, they were persecuted, and and they've latched onto that in a sense and made that into a thing, a part of their identity in a sense. Um, and a badge of honor in a way. So they they're they're very they can be very defensive about things that we do that appear or feel to them like persecution. So if we mock them in any way, if we mock things that they hold sacred, or or they think that we're mocking the things that mm-hmm. they hold sacred, mm-hmm. and, and there's two things that come to mind in that. One is their leaders. They they revere their leaders considerably. Their prophets, current prophets, and so they revere them a ton. And so, you know, um, their current president of the Mormon Church is Russell M. Nelson. If I just say, "Hey, what did what did what did Russ say at General Conference?" <laughs> that would be that would feel like a real insult to them, mm-hmm. you know. Or if I used another nickname or something like that, or if I castigated him for being 96 years old or whatever it might be that would be offensive and that would that would shut down that would build, that burn some bridges and yeah. then the other thing that's really sensitive is the temple um, and things related to the Mormon temple they believe that it's a sacred place and so if I start to if I speak de- de- demeaningly toward the temple or if I even start to probe and ask questions about the temple mm-hmm. or then that they're going to shut that down right away because they feel like I'm treading on something that's sacred. Right. Even though I I know more about a temple than I probably should know or some of the the things that my friends who have left Mormonism have shared with me, uh, I never I never let on to the knowledge that I have about the experience with current practicing Mormons. I just don't want them to know the things that I know, right? so that there's right. actually a built trust in me. Right. I don't have to say everything I know. I want to be judicious and discerning about what we talk about. But then the other thing, so those has to do with some of the things they hold, uh, they revere. But then the other thing I've learned over the years, um, living among Latter-day Saints, is the importance of being considerate of their values. Um, for example, they look at Sunday as the Sabbath, and, and they... Uh, they think, you know, they believe that there's certain behaviors, activities that are inappropriate on the Sabbath. So many, now this is changing as it gets a little looser in Mormon culture, but there's still many, many LDS people who won't uh, shop on, on Sunday, who won't go out to a restaurant on Sunday. They won't do yard work on Sunday. So if I'm out mowing my lawn on Sunday and I'm all my neighbors are Mormon, then then what? That's kind of like raising the flag in a way of saying, kind of like uh, in your face. Mm. Um, it can be. It can be seen that um, to openly drink alcohol or flaunt it, you know, um, because Mormons have a prohibition about alcohol. And so if I flaunt it, you know, if I'm out on my um, 
my driveway making beer in the open where everyone can see. You know, that that might be a little bit of like a feel like a like a stick in the eye. Um, or if I dress r- super immodestly, like I not only a, like like I'm not in, not only going to not mow my lawn on Sunday, I'm not going to mow my lawn without a shirt on. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for a lot of reasons for that, but <laughs> um, but that would be you know that would be offensive to them, or they would I would immediately lose credibility in those areas, and so they're going like those could those could create those kind of lifestyle things that aren't sensitive to the LDS values. Could create, you know, some um, distance. Mm-hmm. Kind of create maybe a barrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've talked some about the challenges in us, maybe some challenges in in others that make it difficult to have good connection. Uh, how can the way we we view each other uh, help or hinder good connection? Yeah, that's a really good point. Because this is important if you're one if you want to have a connection with LDS people, I think it's helpful to understand maybe how they might view us, and, and, and there's some good thoughts about how we might view them too, but, but they can be insular, and I touched on that earlier, because they're kind of relationally self-contained. And so as a result, most Latter-day Saints really don't know very many Christians, or if, if any, or they don't know them very well. And so... Um, you know, so they might be looking at you from a, a like a very long a distance, um, and so they're likely to be uninformed. They're without they don't if they've never really interacted with Christians, they don't maybe don't know our our lifestyle or kind of what we believe and whatever. Um, they're uninformed about that. Now, one of the things is that most LDS people at some level um, are interested in um, converting us to their faith. Mm. Now that. That might not be as heavy-handed as it used to be, um, but they would still say. You hear sometimes you'll say, "Oh, you'd make a great Mormon." Yeah, you know, because we share some values together in the same and so forth. So at some point, if they feel like there's an opening, they'll they, they would be interested in converting us. They would love to see us join their faith. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of Mormons really want Christians to see them in a good light. They, they kind of are a little bit too worried about um, how they're viewed by the world around. And so they really, how do you guys, what did you guys think of that, that? Or did you like that? Or like, or how do you think of us? And it's almost like, um, it's almost like, the, like the, the kid sister who wants to be liked by the older brothers and sisters' friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they want, they want us to see them and to see their faith in a positive light. And maybe that's related to the idea that historically they're probably expecting us to attack, to attack them, to attack their beliefs, to attack their church. Again, that's the way that traditional Christians have interacted with Mormonism for for generations. Is it's always it's been an, they, what they perceive as an attack. Again, that persecution complex, and so they don't want to feel attacked. Nobody does. They want to feel affirmed, and and so there's that di- weird dynamic. Um, that's going on. And they probably do think of um, most of us as sort of inferior Christians, JV Christians in a sense, because um, they think only that that only Latter Day Saints have real spiritual experiences, hmm. and they think that that um, only Latter Day Saints are the ones who are really really serious about their faith. They look around. They they kind of look at Christians as being a little bit um, casual mm-hmm. about matters of faith. 
maybe lazy learners. Yeah, lazy learners, yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of ways that they look at us that might get in the way, that, that might challenge it, but this is so where but this is where a relationship changes that, right? We all probably have experiences where we had a stereotype of some group or you know people who are younger than us or older than us or from a different uh, cultural background or different sociological background. We had our stereotypes, then we got to know them and realize, oh, this is a this is a real person, a great person. They have they have great qualities, they have weaknesses like all of us. And getting to actually know somebody has a way of deflating. Um, those stereotypes, and that's true in our relationships with LDS people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how is this changing the way we view each other? How is how is this changing, given the recent trajectory of Latter Day Saints using language that makes them sound just like another Christian denomination and and desiring to be seen just as Christians? How does that infect the way we see each other? I think those uh, people who are traditional Christians, biblical Christians, can have a tendency to look at that and become suspicious. Um, we can we can get we can be a little paranoid maybe about the motives of our LDS friends. We feel like they're trying to. Uh, we could characterize them as wolves in sheep's clothing, or as as being disingenuous, or some kind of a scam, you know. And I was, I was in my mind, it helps me to separate the individual from the institution. Mm-hmm. And whatever the institution might be doing in setting that tone, the individuals are probably not trying to lie to me, mm-hmm. and they they actually believe what they're being told, you know, by the institution. So they actually believe that we have a lot more in common than we really do. Or they actually believe that we're Christians too, you know. Um, and so on one hand, we have, our, we have to be careful not to just become jaded or suspicious or cynical about, about those efforts on the part of Mormonism as a whole. And on the other side, what I've experienced is that they really do genuinely think that we're a lot more alike than we are. Mm-hmm. And you, you find that the... There are similarities, there are overlapping similarities, especially in terms of moral values, but I think the LDS people themselves, they tend to exaggerate the similarities and minimize the differences. So they'd say, well, we don't believe in the Trinity, we believe in the Godhead, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you do. And well, you know, you peel away one layer, it doesn't take very long to realize, oh, you know, we don't believe like anything at all (laughs) because we're using the same language. But again, that's not um, dishonesty on their part. They genuinely believe it. It's more more, um, that they're uninformed or they don't really know what we believe and think. And they see it all, you know, they see us through their normative lenses of their life, of their experience. And so, and so they think often looking at us that, well, yeah. You know, and um, you're you're just like us. Now, I would say that what this does is it op- really opens a door for relationship, because over the last 20, 30 years, the barrier on the part of Mormons has has gone down quite a bit, um, because it, the unintended consequence of their efforts to say we we're just like you is that their own people don't understand the differences and. Um, so it makes it easier to have faith conversations. They're, they're, it's easier for them uh, to be less defensive, to be less 
you know, insular to be um, to be more open to, you know, having conversations at least um, with with Christians. Mm-hmm. So, what can we practically do to promote good connection? Well, that's true for there's certain things that are probably true for everybody in every relationship, but um, the first thing I think is really attitude. So we're gonna we're gonna consider our own attitude um, toward them and toward those people. Um, you know, attitude is more important than method. In Second Timothy chapter two, Paul warns Timothy, you know, to be gentle, to be you know uh, careful, to to be open um, when he's dealing with those who disagree. And so he gives him a lot of attitude um, and heart considerations to think of. So what that means with respect to Latter-day Saint people is um, we need to lose the anti-Mormon attitude that has often characterized evangelical Christians in the past. So Luke chapter 9, James and John, the sons of thunder, come up to Jesus, and they had been rejected in a Samaritan village. And so James and John said, well, what should we do? Should we nuke them, you know, (laughs) call down fire from heaven? And Jesus rebuked them. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably would rebuke us for sometimes the attitude that we have of like, God, oh, we just want you to nuke the Mormons. You know, um, so we have to we have to soften our attitude toward toward Mormons in that sense. They're not the enemy. Mm-hmm. They're people who need Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so those are things related to Mormonism. There's a lot of other things just related to any kind of relationship at all. That we could talk about, but what what's your what have you experienced? You know, as someone who's come to Utah from another state, hasn't been that long ago. That how did you guys deal uh, come confront the attitude questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I saw a lot of people who, in their interaction with Latter Day Saints, were were less respectful than I would have hoped to see. And I, I think I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I think it was lack of information or lack of understanding. And, and some of these people that I had, um, I, I, I mean, some of my friends, they just didn't know the right way to be respectful and to honor their LDS friends. And so they, they talked about topics that I didn't think were appropriate, or they would ask questions I didn't think were very appropriate, or they would be a little bit more harsh when I thought that gentleness was was more needed. Um, and, and then also the way um, some people talk about Latter-day Saints, uh, even just behind closed doors in my, in my living room or at the dinner table, um, it, it matters so much. Uh, that that Latter-day Saints aren't, as you said, they're not the enemy, but they're actually the object of God's love and affection, and he wants them to be restored to right relationship. And so that's that's my desire as well, that I would grow in such a, a love and a desire for them to be restored in right relationship to Jesus. And that really takes away any sense of bitterness or a desire to disrespect them to their faces or, or even just around my friends. Uh, and, and it's so easy to make a silly joke right. that yeah. that afterwards I think, oh, that was really not honoring to my Latter-day Saint friends. Right. And it's a great point that you raise about what how we talk about LDS people behind closed doors, because on one hand you think, well, they they weren't there, they didn't hear, but, but that attitude bleeds over, mm-hmm. right? It, mm-hmm. it becomes contagious. 
And, you know, if you've lived among Latter-day Saints for a long time, you start to see, you're going to have stories. You're going to have stories of injustice. You're going to have stories of, um, you know, that, of things that rankled you or you were, you know, treated a certain way or your kids were treated a certain way, maybe mm-hmm. ostracized by LDS kids, whatever it might be. Everybody's got some stories or especially if, for many who were LDS and left the Mormon Church, there's there can be a little bit of anger and some residual bitterness there, and 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 those kind of things, you know, in 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 our own in groups, they can really create a mood, right? They can really create this sense of like, oh, and then it's hard for that not to bleed over, mm-hmm. even when we are talking to LDS people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think another attitude is just being uh, a, a humble learner. To my Latter-day Saint friends and neighbors, I, I, I often can come up with a genuine question, something I'm, I'm actually curious about. I, I certainly don't claim to know everything about what they believe or their culture, and so it's not hard for me to come up with an honest question that I would like to ask, and, and, and I ask it honestly. And I, just, I'm, I, I aim to be as authentic and as real of a person as possible I know that so many Latter-day Saints will, will have a desire to appear perfect. And so often I will, I, I will actually highlight some of my imperfections and I will be more willing to share some of my slip-ups in life, the places in my life that I am a little ashamed of, that I did or said. And, and I'm willing to share those just to model the vulnerability and express my remorse over that sin that I, I did or said. Um, and, and it's, in a way, giving an example of this is how the gospel works. This is how uh, repentance works. When I confess, oh, I hate that I did this thing, I'm not going to hide it because God knows the innermost parts of my heart. And so I'm, I'm going to share it and just express my um, my remorse for it and my desire to be restored in Christ. That's a that great point. That that is such a great point. That's that's huge because, you know, the the LDS people do have that worthiness fixation, that perfectionism, and in their culture, you can't admit anything that in, that you have doubts or questions or failures or whatever because your image in the amongst your other people, the people of your community, are so is so huge that sometimes it's really easy for us as Christians to get caught up in the, well, you know, they're so perfect, I need to be so perfect, or I will lose credibility. So mm-hmm. we get in this, in this morality arms race with the Mormons, and uh, you, know, you know what? We're not going to win that, and the other, but more importantly, that's not the whole God. That's what the, not what the gospel's all about. Mm-hmm. That's their gospel. We don't want to play on that on that turf, so to speak, where we're going like, oh, we they're they're driven to be worthy, and so we're going to be driven to be worthy. We just played into the hands of their gospel, you know. And um, to be honest, you know, they're gonna they have a lot of motivations that we don't have because that's what it takes to be right with God. And but instead, it, the vulnerability allows. A, the gospel to begin to be heard, right? Because we're not modeling perfection. We're modeling redemption. Redemption mm-hmm. means I'm a sinner who has applied the sacrifice of Christ to my life, and I'm being changed because of what he did, not what I do. So so if I can model what it means to be a redeemed person, they're trying to model what it means to be a perfect person. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into their game. I want to show them the real deal, right? So I just want to I'd really affirm what you're saying about being honest and vulnerable and, and being willing to, you know, let, let your guard down a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of what's my attitude. My attitude is I don't have to try to out-Mormon the Mormons, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, that's really a great point. Mm-hmm. So I want to I wanna be real. I want to be a, a learner. I want to be humble. Um, and, I, and, and one other thing, I have to be really patient. You have to be patient. Yeah. Um, because, again, their relational um, capacity might be kind of full. Or at some point they, you know, they might become interested later on. They might put be putting you to all kinds of credibility tests that you don't even know about, you know, to see if you're for real, to see if um, it's worth having a relationship mm-hmm. with us, you know. So I have to I have to be patient for a lot of maybe things to click and things to happen, and I just want to keep, you know, that. Um, that attitude of wait, you know, God can work. God's going to work. I'm going to keep investing, um, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see, right? So patience is important. So attitude. Basically, we're talking about attitude. That's where it starts, I think. Mm-hmm. Once you have some some of these attitudes in place, then you can start taking actions of different kinds. Yeah. So common ground. That's that's the the first thing. Where can I find common ground? With my LDS, and the common ground might be at work. Um, it might be in the neighborhood. Um, in the neighborhood, you get to know like, well, there's a neighborhood issues, so we're going to work together to try to, you know, get that crosswalk over at that intersection, or, um, you know, in the neighborhood, we we see that oh, we take an interest in um, our neighbors. We have one one set of neighbors who have a beautiful garden of flowers and so forth that's given us a lot to talk about mm, yeah. um, and he's got you know he ride I ride bikes he rides bikes we talk we talk about that that's so common ground the easiest common ground is probably parenting if you're a parent because um, that's a big deal in Mormon culture they're also they, crafts hobbies um, you know sports uh, if you're a sports fan um, there's a lot of places to try to find you know, some common ground with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not a parent and certainly not a mother, but the other day I was walking through my neighborhood and, and saw a train of a handful of women with their kids that I recognized from the ward uh, that I live in. And, and I thought, wow, this would be a great way to connect. Of course, I'm, I'm not quite the right demographic. You're not but, uh, the, quite the one to do that, right? <laughs> that aside, oh, this this is a great opportunity to just say, hey, let's go on a let's go on a walk. We've got two year olds together. Yeah, and we've experienced that when our kids were younger, and I've heard many many people have shared how, you know, just joining the neighborhood group at the park is is such an such an easy way to connect with people because you have common concerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I've often done is just invite people into my home for yeah. for dinners. So there uh, have been several different uh, folks from my neighborhood that I've met because the LDS missionaries brought them over for a lesson. And I've recognized, well, these are the people that actually live in my neighborhood. These are the people that I, I would be excited to build some relationship with. And so several of them we've had over for dinner or they've even invited us over for dinner and just had more time to, to connect in that way. Yeah. So tell me more about that, because I know a lot of people, when they think about inviting someone over to dinner, they create a lot of pressure on themselves 
again, to kind of get it all right and to have a perfect meal and, um, you know, have the house, the decor, everything. So, so how do you, how have you guys gone about that and dealt with kind of the, the pressure of what our culture calls quote entertaining? Mm-hmm. Um, how have you made it so that it's manageable for you guys, but also feels welcoming to, you know, your guests. Mm-hmm. Any tips on that? Yeah, well, even just to piggyback of, on some of the conversation we've been having about perfection, I, I don't want to feed this idea of uh, we're perfect and now you have to, you know, look at us and and try to strive to be more like us. So instead, I, I want to be genuinely clean, but if sure. there's, there's some things lying around or there's a, a project I'm in the middle of that's kind of off in the corner, that's all right with me. We have a pile of things that need to go to the thrift store. It's been there for months. Right. And uh, we've had several guests over with that pile in the corner of the living room. Uh, and, and so I think that's valuable to recognize my house doesn't have to be absolutely perfect and spotless because that might actually feed some unhealthy patterns. But at the same time, I want to be a, a good host. And so I'm, right. I'm going to clean up as right. much as sure. is reasonable. My wife and I, we love good food. And so we love to cook food. If if not everyone likes to cook food, that's okay. Uh, we went over to a friend's house recently and they said, let's go to, or let's pick up some food at a restaurant, mm-hmm. get it to go. And we just ate there. Right. That saved a lot on on time for cooking cleaning and we could just focus on on conversation right that makes sense yeah i think when we think about hospitality we can get caught up in some of these auxiliary side issues but in reality the heart of being hospitable is just having good connection with the person that is over and so um a recommendation is is to just try uh try to focus on the person for example, with Mary and Martha, we can get distracted with much service, which isn't a, the service itself isn't a bad thing, but we can be distracted by it and miss the relational aspect that is actually more important. Right. It's really what it's all about ultimately, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. That's a great take. So, and, and you know, um, there's other ways I could invite people into my world um, b- beyond having them over for dinner. But if I'm going to go to the ball game, I might invite my friend to the ball game, whatever. So I always think about like, whatever I'm going to be doing anyway, mm-hmm. is there just a way to include somebody in that? You know, if, if my wife, she likes to hike, she says, if I'm going on a hike, I don't want to go alone. Is there a way that I can invite somebody into that um, thing I'm already doing? So it doesn't really, it doesn't really cost me tons and tons more time um, maybe it might cost some a little bit of intentionality. Mm-hmm. So it could be dinner, it could be a hike, it could be many, many different kinds of things that we're that we're already doing in life. Mm-hmm. But what if it, what about flipping the script? Let's ha, have you guys been invited into their world mm-hmm. uh, in different ways? Yeah, a few different ways. One one that stands out to me right now is we have um, a neighborhood family that uh, had invited us to play some disc golf with them. And so we went, we don't, my wife and I don't really do disc golf, but it was, we had a good time. It was for the people, not so much the activity. And then at the end of that, um, we were really close to Jamba Juice. So we slipped over and grabbed some smoothies. And then they tossed out a passing comment that they were going to start watching The Chosen. This is when it was a little bit younger. And, and we said, well, that sounds interesting. Uh, so they they actually invited us. It wasn't our initiative. They had invited us to come watch The Chosen with them. 
And so we, we had done that for a decent little while. Um, we'd go over each week, watch an episode, and some days, as soon as it ended, that was kind of the end of the day, and conversations were closing up and we left. Um, but other days, we were able to have some really meaningful conversation mm-hmm. just sparked yeah. by a simple question. Mm. Uh, what, what did you think about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a brilliant question. It's a great question, though. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like a uh, rocket scientist to think that up. Mm-hmm. So that's one where my wife and I wouldn't naturally just go and watch The Chosen. We don't even right. have a TV. We wouldn't watch any TV show. Right. But because our friends that are LDS invited us into it, we said, you know what, let's let's go ahead, let's go for it and allow it to provide opportunities to talk about Jesus, to talk about the Bible, to talk about story and how it's communicated in the Bible right. and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I can't create opportunities for people to invite me into their world. But if I take the initiative and I've been open and included them in my world, then they might reciprocate in some way. And then I, but I need to be not afraid to, you know, to take those invitations. I, even if it's to say, um, come to a, a church award event. I don't know, we've been to ward dinners in the past and mm-hmm. ward functions in the past because we've been invited to go, and I'll go, you know, as a way of building bridges, building relationship. Mm-hmm. One thing I've, I've seen that um, helps make those connections is to serve and be served by people. So I'm looking for ways to serve and to be practical ways to serve in my neighborhood and my community that, that just basically bless other people. Um, and then the other flip side of that is, if someone offers to serve me, then I always want to say yes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be proud or whatever. And this is interesting, because in the LDS culture, they're, they really one of their strongest cultural features is they are serving people. Mm-hmm. They really will get out and serve. They'll serve um, each other. And they'll often serve the L- non-LDS people in their neighborhood, and so that's, and so, um, and so I want to say, okay, um, let me also be part of that. I'll serve you when I have a chance, and I'll let you serve me, and mm-hmm. I'll just re- I'll receive it graciously, and and um, and let that be a kind of a bonding factor um, in our relationship. So I want to try to be alert to opportunities and take advantage of just natural things, whether it's my LDS neighbor or not, if it's of any other neighbor. Mm-hmm, you know, if, they, if, mm-hmm. if they're working on something and I can help, I'll, I'll show up and try to help. So um, what, what's, what struck me is that in, in one example of this is um, I have a friend, he's a pastor in town, and when the last um, president of the Mormon church, Thomas S. Monson, um, passed away, my friend sent flowers to the local bishop who was he'd mm. been in relationship mm-hmm. with. Now, now I don't. I would not. I don't, I I would have a. I would hesitate to honor a false prophet. You know, in in a sense. But it wasn't about that. It was about being kind and serving, understanding what mattered to his neighbor, and being kind to his neighbor in a time when you know it was, it was affecting him personally that. That his beloved prophet had passed. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I would not, I would never have thought of that. Mm-hmm. But it was, I thought it was a great way to serve. Yeah. Another way I've found to practically connect is uh, by by discussing matters that they're most interested in. Yeah. 
And so uh, if, if they've shared that they served an LDS mission, I know they're going to be excited to share about it. Almost everyone is. Yep. And so I'll, I'll, I'll ask questions. That's a great question. Did you serve a mission? Where did you serve? How was mm-hmm. it? That's just a boom, opens it right up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's helpful to remember that just because I'm talking about their LDS mission doesn't necessarily mean I affirm that they went on one or I affirm the things that they said and taught. I'm just being curious. And so I, I'm, I'm not compromising the truth right. by asking genuine questions ab- about this huge part of their life where they they grew uh, ab- abundantly and they, they learned so much more about themselves and their church and their teachings. And uh, they're, they're very excited to talk about it. So that's one way that is, is fun for me to connect with yeah, them. Yeah, and you learn so much about a person. You learn um, so much about their heart and their values and, and things that later on could be a connecting point to the gospel, really, when, when they're talking about the things that are the most deeply meaningful to them, mm-hmm. like their mission or like their, their family or you know, um, growing up. A lot of times it, the, the story's growing up and they're kind of helps me understand who they are and, and what has what has shaped them and, and so forth. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, just asking questions, trying to be curious. Um, yeah, that's really good. I would point out kind of the last thing I think there's a lot more that um, you know ideas that people can connect. There's a lot of great ways to do that. I'll let our listeners, you know, think about that and get creative on that. But I do think if I'm going to be intentional about connecting into the LDS world, um, I would say that to do that, um, you really also need to have to keep maintain your own faith support system, mm-hmm. right? Because sobering story, a few years ago on campus ministry. That I'm that I'm uh, affiliated with, there was a student who really started, you know, investing in the LDS people around her, and and uh, even so far so insofar as seeing missionaries and going through their lessons, and 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 she was really um, embedding herself in the Mormon world and really um, really incarnational, I guess you could say, in that. But eventually, she somehow like lost. Con- a connection with her own support system, she ended up joining the LDS church. Hmm. She ended up being convinced, to, and it, now it only lasted about two weeks before before her Christian friends finally realized what was happening, and, and she had a, like a, a reality conversations with some some people like, oh, 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 she realized that she had lost her bearings hmm. because she'd become so immersed in those relationships and connected so well, really, mm-hmm. but but had become kind of disconnected from her support system. I don't know how often that is likely to happen, but I thought, well, that's kind of a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. that we still need to have um, people who are holding us accountable or people who are asking how it's going and, and um, people that keep us grounded in our faith. Mm-hmm. That's a really helpful suggestion. Well, thank you for sharing so many of these suggestions, practical tips, and how we understand what the barriers are to connecting and having good connection with lives. Again, this is the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news is the Latter-day Saints, wisdom and grace.